Let me invite you now to turn to Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, Galatians chapter 3, while you're turning there. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy to get bogged down in the details and in the, in the weeds as we read this letter that was surely received and, and it, was, it was read as a whole, right? They sat down and they read the whole letter and, and we haven't done that yet. I'm, I'm tempted one of these weeks just to, to read the whole letter so that we get the context in which this is set. So far, Paul's been uh, not just defending himself. He's been speaking about himself and his experiences in the gospel in a very Christ-centered way. And, and now, this week, he turns his attention to somebody else. Kind of like if we were writing a letter to somebody and, and they asked us how we were, we'd start the first paragraph and saying, I'm, I'm fine, Henry is doing fine, he's growing, he's almost three months old, we are enjoying life in the church plant, and then the next paragraph we would say, you know, I heard that, you know, you are expecting a child or you're getting married, by the way, David is getting married, he proposed yesterday and she accepted and, uh, and so he could share that news with us. And this is a point in the letter where Paul turns his attention to the Galatians, but he does it in some language that I, I wonder if any of us have ever used with our friends. It begins in verse 1 here, chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or completed by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works Miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Heavenly Father, would you now open our eyes to see and our ears to hear faith. The words of faith that you work in us, in our hearts. And may that faith transform who we are in Christ. Amen. I read verse 7, know then that it was those of faith who are sons of Abraham. I immediately thought of the kid's song, you remember it? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. 
I am one of them, and so are you. Now let's all praise the Lord. Now, we sang that in, yeah, you can do this motions if you want to, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> we sang that in our um, elementary school. Uh, and I can remember sitting there thinking, so I know that Abraham was Jewish, and I know that I'm not Jewish, so why do I sing that I am one of his sons and so are you when none of us are Jewish, or at least most of us weren't Jewish in the, in the room? Were we just singing a kind of a song to be culturally diverse and, and sing other people's traditions? The question went unanswered for years because uh, I, they didn't explain it in the, in the school, and nor did my uh, Sunday school teach it. They, they taught the song, but they didn't teach me what it meant either. And, and I'm going to let you hang on that thought for just a second and suggest to you that what was even more striking, even more jarring for the Galatians and for particularly the Jews who were reading this letter, because it was both Gentiles and Jews, was not that he called them foolish twice, but that he said, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And what's so jarring about that? Well, first, it's fairly obvious, the point that was jarring for me, even as a, I think probably a fourth or fifth grader, was that, you know, the, the Gentiles... Those who weren't physical descendants of Abraham were being called sons of Abraham. But I think there's something that's even more jarring than that, even for the Jews, who most of them were physically descendants of Abraham. And for that, we have to understand something about who was called a Jew. Was it all the sons of Abraham who were called Jews? Who are the sons of Abraham? You remember? Of course, it's Isaac, and then Isaac's son, Jacob, and then his 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. But only one of those tribes, actually one and some of another one, were called Jews, and those were the sons of the son of Jacob named Judah. So what happened to the other tribes? What happened to the other sons of Abraham? Why were they no longer considered sons of Abraham? And it was because when the Jews finally left Egypt and they entered the promised land, after a few hundred years from there, they they had a king who rose up, right? Their first king was Saul and their second king was, of course, King David, who was a faithful king. Not in everything that he did, but he was overall faithful because he trusted God. And then Solomon, his son, takes the throne after him. And it's all of the tribes of Israel who are in that kingdom. And then after Solomon, some of the tribes decide they don't want to follow the king that sits on David's throne anymore. They don't want to follow the, the laws that God had established through Moses and obey God's command that the king should be an heir of David. So these tribes leave, and they they, they pick out their own king, and Judah 
continues to have a king that's a son of David on the throne. Did those sons of Judah, the Jews, consider the other 11 tribes sons of Abraham anymore? And the answer is no. Because what marked then a son of Abraham was that they still were following God's laws. And these other tribes broke a specific, paramount command of God that the king should be an heir of David. The Jews, the sons of Abraham, were those who continued to look with hope to the law of God. Now, some did this more effectively than others. Some abused the law, of course. We've talked about that. But in its essence, the Jews still looked to a son of David to be their hope. They looked to this law as promise. So now think about how jarring this is when he says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It is those of faith and not who look to the works of the law who are true sons of Abraham, who are true Jews, as it narrowed down into the son of Judah, sons of Judah effectively, not just sons of Abraham, but sons of Judah and the faithful ones. You see how this could be jarring to them? You know, my definition, our definition had been ethnic descent and obedience to the law. And now you're saying that it's by, by faith. But if that wasn't jarring enough, Paul goes on to say, it was never by works of the law. It was always by faith. In fact, Abraham, who came before Moses, before the law came, Abraham, it says, verse 6, believed God, had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him. You remember this word? What does it, what does it mean? What's the word, the, the technical word to be counted as righteous? Justifi- justification, right? That's a word we've, we, Paul's been using all through this. We've talked about what justification means. Justification is a legal term. It means that you are declared innocent by the judge. And, and Paul is saying that, that the, the people of Galatia have been declared innocent by the judge because of Christ, who is their justification, who gave them justification, who made them righteous, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So so I want us to so there there's where we are as an overview of of this passage. But I want us to ask three questions or answer three questions. You notice how many questions that Paul asks in this phrase? He he says, you know, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then like every good preacher, he's course given to hyperbole he exaggerated he's not just asking that one question he asks are you so foolish goes on to ask have you begun by the spirit and now being perfected by the flesh did you suffer so many things does he who supplies you get the point there's a lot of questions here here are the three questions i want to ask for us how does justification begin 
how does justification end? And then what happens when our faith is weak? How does justification begin? How does justification end? What happens when our faith is weak? Paul says, let me ask you only this. The central question to this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive, did you begin in this whole process by works of the law or by faith? How did this whole thing, this justification begin? And the answer is by the Spirit. By God working in you and by the faith that he worked in you. Now this is, this is pretty important for us, especially in this, this day and age. Because you know, I don't know if you're aware of it, but there are a lot of people out there talking about, about the secret initiation process of faith. You heard of things like the Gospel of Thomas, like the Da Vinci Code. That was a book recently written. It's a book I even saw called The Secret Initiation of Jesus at Qumran. Qumran is the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Right? There's a book out there called The Secret right now that talks about you know, kind of the secret entry into, into faith. Secret is, is a, it's a, a, a happening thing in the world of spirituality. Small s, not Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Paul says that the gospel is no secret. The gospel, in fact, was publicly portrayed, says in verse 1, as Christ crucified. The information is out there, and you don't need some kind of secret information, secret code, secret entry. Jesus didn't go through some secret entry We don't have to go through some secret entry. It is a public matter. And these people who are saying, yeah, okay, you heard part of the story. Now let me tell you the full story. I mean, that's the message of the Da Vinci Code. If you, I haven't read the whole book. I've read parts of it. But that's the message is that, okay, there's part of it that's public, but but the real secret is, you know, what Da Vinci got into, right? There's this, this secret society out there that holds the real Truth And it usually goes into something about Jesus being married and all this other stuff. It's, it's just false. It's lies. And it's not how the entry, it's not how faith begins. Because faith begins with something that is very public. And the Spirit grabbing hold of your life and drawing you to God. Now, where does this, the contrast is interesting here. The contrast that Paul points out is one between the works of the flesh, or excuse me, the works of the law, and the hearing with faith. And then he says in verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. 
I'm going to skip this point in the interest of time about works of the, the flesh because we're going to get into it more and I, don't, I just don't have time. And just, just leave us at this. The, the, where does justification begin? It's by the Spirit being at work in you through something that has been publicly known, publicly made known, and that is Jesus, Jesus crucified. You know, I'll make this other point as a side point. When he says, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. There's, there's more there than we read into it. In fact, the, the term bewitching is, is, is really kind of cast an evil eye on you. It's a witchcraft kind of term. It's a spell. Who's cast this spell on you in telling you these secret lies? And Paul's saying, it was before your clear eyes, not your over-bewitched eyes. It was before your clear eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed. He's saying, take the blinders off so that you can see clearly what Christ has done in your life. So now I've taken this time, but Paul just assumes that they understand this. You know, the Spirit is how you began. Then he goes on to say, how does, does this justification continue? How is it brought to completion? How is it made perfect? How does it end is really the, the way that it's, it's, it's phrased here. How does it end? And the answer is the same way that it began, through the Spirit. And here again, we're tempted to want to go in very similar places to where the Galatians went. Because we want, we want in our human efforts to say, we, we can do a little bit of this. You know, like my kids, all of them have said, let me do it. I can do this, right, when I'm trying to help them. Let me do it. I, I, I can buckle myself up into the seat. We want to be able to say to God, thanks. I mean, you, you saved me from the majority of it, but, but I, can, I can take a little bit of this burden, right? I can do a, a little bit. And this is what it means to be, to be trusting in our own works or the works of the law instead of trusting in God when it comes to the area of justification. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't work hard to pursue righteousness, that we don't battle hard against the secret sins in our life, right? Against the very public sins in our life, against all of evil. We, of course, battle hard, but when it comes to you being declared innocent, it is only by God, and it's only by His Spirit. Again, this gets at so much of what we face in popular culture today. You know, just like that secret initiation rite is such a popular thing, so are all other man-made religions that essentially say, you need to look after the poor to have blessing in this life and the life to come. You need to love your neighbor to have blessing in this life and in the life to come. You need to 
not steal from people. You need all these religions say essentially the same thing for the most part, right? There are variations. Even Buddhism, Hinduism, they all say the same thing. Even even Islam says the same thing. Now they may go overboard in some areas and 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 promote warfare to accomplish that purpose, which is very different than than some of the other things. But they all promote the same kind of ethical behavior. They all present the same kind of appeal to us and to others. I can can do better. I can do this on my own. I can contribute something to my own blessing, to my own benefit, and we like it. And so do other people around us. Because we want, like our kids, to be able to say, "I, I can do, I can do just this. I can do just that. But the truth that Paul is hammering home here is that it's a dangerous road. It's a road that is bewitched. It's a road that is cursed, we'll find out. It's a road that ultimately leads to death and separation from God and not being called sons of Abraham anymore. Because justification only comes through Jesus. And that brings us to this last question. I really want to look at the person of Abraham. You know, what happens when our faith in God's justification is weak? For that, let's look at verses 7 to 9, and particularly read verse 8 with me. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Let's just tell the story of Abraham. If you want to, in fact, you can turn back with me to Genesis chapter 12. If you're not familiar with this story, pick it up. Just start with Genesis 12. And go on through about Genesis 17 would be a good, good place to read. Genesis 12, God called Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And then in verse 3, he says, I will bless you, bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed catch the difference in the quote that I read? In you all the nations will be blessed versus all the families will be blessed. Did he, did he misquote? I mean, it's a significant difference, it would seem, right? He didn't misquote. Nations, ethne, ethnos, ethnic groups. All the ethnic groups. Ethnic groups are a family of people. The nations are a family of people. It's not quite the same as what we think of when we think of nations today. And God said, in you, not just your family. So that's what we tend to think about, right? When we think about Abraham and his sons and the Jews, it was just their family. In you, not just your family, but all of the families of the earth will receive blessing because I am blessing you. Now, how is that the gospel? How can that be the God? I thought the gospel was that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and he confirmed that forgiveness by being raised from the dead and you need to believe that to be saved. Isn't that the gospel? Right? It is the gospel. I'm not going to tell you it's not. 
How is it the gospel then that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed? If you've been around, you might know this because I do tend to say it on occasion. I know where the term euangelion, evangelism, euangelion comes from. It's, it's a, a public proclamation of good news. The good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation. The gospel that was presented to Abraham was that the good news that was brought through his family was going to be proclaimed to all of the families of the earth. That gospel was going to be proclaimed in the sense of a, a victorious battle and a new king has come to the throne. That's the, the type of good news, euangelion, that was taken out to other places. And that good king, the heir of David, right? The the son of David, who was the son of Abraham and a son of Judah, the faithful heir of David was this king that everybody had been hoping for. And the good news that was spoken even to Abraham, 1,400 years, excuse me, closer to 1,800 years before Jesus was even born was that the good news of this king was going to be taken to all the nations and it was being fulfilled now by being taken to the Gentiles, including places like Galatia. What does that have to do with our faith being weak? In chapter 15 of Genesis, God calls Abraham. And he makes a promise with him. And he says, and it says, and Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted, to, counted it to him as righteousness. Again, Paul quotes this in this passage we've been saying. God made a promise to Abraham, and in those days, when a promise was made, each person made, made commitments. They said, if we keep the promises, these are the blessings that each party is going to get. If we break the promises, these are the curses that each person is going to get. God, knowing that Abraham wasn't able to keep the promise, put Abraham into a deep sleep. And he did the thing that was required to confirm the promise himself. He walked through in between the sacrifices, saying, may what happened to these sacrifices happened to me if I'm not faithful. He didn't even make Abraham do it, right? So he's believed, but God, knowing that his faith was going to be weak and he would break the covenant if, he, if, he, if, if God didn't protect him, God walked through this and kept the covenant himself. And no sooner than chapter 16 does Abraham's faith be put to the test. Remember what God said, I will give you a son, and through that son, you will have many more sons, more numerous than the sands of the sea, more numerous than the stars, and Abraham gets impatient, and what does he do? He, he goes, and he, he, he has a son with his, his servant, Hagar. We're going to come to her in this, in this letter to the Galatians later. 
Abraham tries to do through the flesh what God had promised through the spirit. His faith is weak like all of ours is weak oftentimes. Some of the time in the most surprising places, right? We've experienced this great thing of God. He had experienced this great promise revealing, calling from God. When we experience these great things, our faith is weak and we try to do things by the flesh instead of trusting God's promises. And yet no sooner than chapter 17, we see God restore Abraham, give him a son through Sarah, even though she was 90 years old at this point. Through Isaac, of course, comes Jacob, comes Judah, comes David, comes Jesus. And our salvation is won, not by Abraham's faithfulness, but by God's faithfulness to Abraham. And Abraham was counted faithful, counted righteous, not by anything that he had done, but by simply believing that God would do what he said he would do. And that was bring salvation through God's perfect, great plan and justify Abraham and all the people of God, Old Testament, New Testament, through this one man, Jesus Christ, who says that we are not guilty. Amen. Father, may we give up our efforts to be made righteous by our own works. May we let go of our hope that even our faith would be strong enough to justify us ourselves. May we, because of your public salvation that's been won for us, continue to cling to it, sometimes with weak faith, sometimes with stronger faith, but always the faith that you've worked in us by the Spirit so that you can continue to work through us and that we would be a blessing just as Abraham was a blessing to the nations. May we be a blessing to the nations as well. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen.